Welcome to CEO to Rainmaker, a practical small business educational podcast designed to increase an owner's executive skills, raise profits, and achieve long-term sustainability. And now your host, Gene Valdez. Episode number 41, Business Valuation, Art or Science with Ed Fixon. A CEO should always know what the value of their business is and what factors influence its value, either positively or negatively. As of this Monday, I have published 40 episodes, and one of the most popular episodes was episode number five, Selling Your Business, where my guest expert was a CPA named Stephen Williams. We talked about selling the business in that episode, but we didn't talk about how you value the business prior to the sale. This morning's episode will cover how you value your business prior to sale and provide other information. My expert guest is a full-time business opportunity broker and appraiser who has dealt with this subject matter with much more detail. As stated, Ed Fixon is both a certified business appraiser and business opportunity broker. Ed formed his own company, Business Quest Brokers, 16 years ago. As the CEO of this company, Ed has been involved in the sale and or appraisal of hundreds of businesses, covering a variety of industries, including manufacturing, business services, wholesalers, distributors, construction, healthcare, e-commerce, retail, and others. He even told me he was going to divest into food trucks. So we'll have to talk to him about that. Ed has sold over 150 businesses and appraised over 200. Not many brokers have the education to do both, i.e. sale and appraise, but Ed can do both. Ed meets the licensing rigors established by the National Association of Certified Valuation Analysts. Ed is the past president and was on the board of directors of the California Association of Business Brokers. He is a USC grad, having earned his MBA in 2003. To sum it up, Ed knows his space, and you and I are lucky to have him. So it's time to bring Ed out on stage. Here he is. Easy Ed, how are you? Hey, Gene, I'm doing great. Thank you for that introduction. Is it all true? Or did your mom write that? My mom probably wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ed, it appears the only thing you can't do is turn water into wine or part the sea. How do you remain so humble and approachable with that kind of bio? Well, it's, it's easy to do. I work, you know, believe it or not, in working with business owners out there. I meet a lot of people who are incredibly bright and as equally kind of hardworking people that have really put uh, so much sweat equity. And I'm always amazed at uh, the people I meet out there. And, uh, you know, it's a very humbling experience when you meet those people that they work just as hard, if not harder, and are just as smart as the rest of us. So let's talk about, for the benefit of my listeners, Ed, is business valuation, is it a art or science? What's your take on it? Yeah, so I would say it is, there's definitely science, or let's just say the mathematical financial process, which is half 
of a business valuation, which is very objective process, right? I wouldn't call it art it's quite so much as it is subjective, but it's a little bit, hopefully, a little more informed subjective, but you're still ultimately using opinions to arrive at the valuation of one company versus another. What, you know, an example is when you're working with a specific company, its valuation multiple is likely not the same as as a similar, if we had two manufacturing companies in the same industry making the same products, but they have different characteristics. The subjective part is how much is one worth versus the other? And how do you make that determination and kind of back it up? And that's Um, what you do for a living. That's what I do for a living. And that's what an appraiser, a certified appraiser should bring to the table is that that experience and ability to support why they made uh, specific conclusions relative to one company versus another. That makes sense. So should a business owner add only get their business appraised when they're just getting ready to sell? Or are there some other reasons why they'd want to do that independent of that? Yeah. I mean, obviously it sounds a little self-serving, but I'm a big proponent that I I think a a well-done valuation is probably one of the best tools a business owner could have for long-term strategic planning, because we generally all know, you know, how do we improve our bottom line? How do we improve profit margins? How do we reduce our cost of goods sold, et cetera? But what often gets overlooked in that is the other half of the equation, that subjective part I was talking about, the risk. The other half of the equation is you got financial and then you've got risk. And so the question is, to the degree of the risk, what can you do? And so, and I'll talk about some of those at some point today, those risk factors and evaluation will spell those out. Say, for example, your company, you need a little more organizational depth in your company. A prospective buyer is going to look at your company and feel that you, the owner, are the business and it's going to result in a lower valuation than you would have gotten otherwise with a a bigger bench, so to speak, on your management team. And that's not something that stands out in a financial review. Understood. Okay. Let's say there's a divorce. And as far as the disposition of the value of the business, obviously you'd have to get it appraised to determine what the spouse's uh, percent ownership is of, of that value. Or let's just say a death of a partner. I guess what I'm getting at it is there could some be some some very oh. good reasons why you'd want to appraise the business, even if you're not going to sell it, other than what you just mentioned. Yeah, that's yeah, you're correct. I was just trying to allude to the point that it's never too soon to get a business valuation. I think for long term planning, but you're right. Certainly, you want to be prepared for estate and or gift planning is one situation. If okay. you want, if you want to start planning to gift some of your business away to your children for tax planning purposes. Those are clearly cases where you you would have to have a valuation done, would be required by the IRS, actually. It has a backup document to your tax return. Other situations are divorce. You're certainly going to want to get a good appraisal done for evaluation, irrespective of, of which side you're on in that particular matter. Other cases are buy-sell agreements. It's a good idea, even if you don't have evaluation done, to have talked with an appraiser to understand what kind of terms do we want, and as well as your attorney in terms of defining 
the definition of what value you use, people don't know there are different definitions of even value. There's fair value, there's fair market value. So even for buy, sell to avoid partnership disputes, a nasty business partner breakup, et cetera, those are other situations where it's good to understand what goes in evaluation and have that defined in advance and maybe have it done initially when you do it to set the benchmark going forward. I've had many advisors use it for their strategic planning process. When they sit down every uh, three to five years with their clients and they'll have evaluation done to go, well, where are we? How have we improved? Because ultimately the ultimate measure isn't just bottom line, but also the ultimate value of the business. Okay. Makes sense. So this is a a two-part question and I don't want you to get stuck in the weeds because we really only have so much time, but there are different quantitative ways in order to arrive at a value. Can you tell me what each quantitative method is real briefly and what seems to be that the buyers and the sellers prefer of the different ways to evaluate businesses? Sure, sure. Yeah, there are fundamentally three approaches. Okay, if you will, if you were doing a full scope appraisal, if you were going before the IRS, if you were going before, if you were in litigation, you would do a full scope, which involved the three methods, which are asset-based method, which really in its simplest form is just on your balance sheet, what's your net worth, making adjustments for the market value of equipment and things like that. And that okay. typically tends to be a method that doesn't apply. You typically go, well, yeah, there it is. But that's it's kind of establishes a floor value, if you will, if a business stopped being profitable. Second and probably most popular common method is the market-based method and approach where you go out and even for businesses, you can go out and find sold comps of similar businesses and establish what valuation multiples are for businesses in that industry, given their income, their adjusted income, their revenue, et cetera. And that's by far probably the most common. The last one is what's called an income method, which is a look forward. And you're you're trying to get your crystal ball and forecast into the future. And based upon future earnings, what's the present value of those future earnings in today's dollars. And those are really the three top line approaches. And there's a whole lot of nuances that can go on with different methods under each of those three approaches. And what would you, how would you refer to the EBITDA times a multiple? So a market, that would be the market-based approach where you'd have an EBITDA times a multiple, which is the most, one of the more common methods, particularly for larger, lower middle market businesses, as you come down scale, as you get to smaller businesses, you know, maybe uh, revenues under a million could be thereabouts. They look at what's called a seller's discretionary earnings, which just means you include EBITDA plus owner's comp and it's times a multiple. And there are multiples out there. If you go to SBA lenders, they're used to working with those multiples, for example. So those are market-based. That's the thing where most people are most kind of intuitively comfortable with. All right. And anytime you would like to uh, enhance some of your comments with an actual case study, that would be great. If you don't want to divulge the name, that's fine. What would you say are the three biggest non-financial factors that affect the valuation of a small business? Sure, sure. Yes. There are three that particularly that I can identify with. And this goes towards, I can tell you that as a business broker, 
time and time again, these three things come up when I'm trying to sell a business. So I have a really good sense of how to quantify it and what the real impact of it is. The first one is having good books and records, having worked with a good accountant, bookkeeper, et cetera. Buyers get very nervous and skeptical when it takes time to generate records or when you go through it during due diligence and ultimately you find there were errors. Things like inventory hasn't really been kept. There's not an accurate tracking of inventory. Cost of goods sold, which at, that impacts cost of goods sold. And there's not a good track of that. You really don't know what your bottom line is. So good books and records has a big impact. I've seen buyers walk away because of the fact just they get too nervous about the accuracy when it takes two, three weeks to get a simple financial report back, an updated PL for year to date. For example, I've seen buyers that just decided they just they're not comfortable anymore with the information they're getting. That's number one on my list. Number two, I've seen is again the one I've already kind of alluded to, which is, and it's it's not that uncommon in small business. So it's not that it can't be dealt with, but it's the depth of the management team. And when you know you hear the owner is the business. That's a very common saying for smaller businesses, not larger organizations, obviously. And so in those cases, it's good. And that's just part of a, a good long-term planning of how to find a, a good right-hand person at building an organization that doesn't rely on the owner for all its relationships, et cetera, because that results in a big discount when it comes time to value business. And number three, I would say is diverse customer base. Customer concentration is a huge issue. And again, it's a big challenge for small, small businesses, particularly having a customer, for example, that's more than 10% is typically kind of one metric that's looked at. And when it starts to get into the 30 to 50% plus, evaluation is going to take a pretty big haircut and discount as a result of that, just because losing that one customer could cause a, a very a financial distress for the business. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's sort of shift gears. Maybe this is the the counterpart to that question I just asked. What would you say are some of the most common mistakes or myths, M-Y-T-H myths, you see in business valuation? Sure, sure. Well, I tell you, probably my biggest pet peeve when it comes to valuation is the use of rules of thumb. It just, it really provides a, can oftentimes, probably more times than not, unless you just get lucky, a very distorted perception of the value of the company. And for example, a lot of times people, they will hear, for example, what a publicly traded company sold for. Oh, it sold for seven times EBITDA. Well, unless you're a publicly traded company, you're not going to sell for seven times EBITDA. You're in a smaller business to lower middle market business, for example, you're going to sell for somewhere for four to five times multiple. And it depends on the business. If we're talking a software business, it's going to sell for a higher multiple. It's got higher growth, higher margins, generally speaking. So rules of thumbs are very dangerous. I do not recommend them when you just hear something. Every business is different, right? And so using a rule of thumb is like saying everybody's an average business. And it's going to oftentimes either way over or way underestimate the value of your business. Revenue is not a good indicator of value. It's an often used one, but I can tell you when you look at data out there time and time again, every time I go through an appraisal, nine times out of 10, they're using revenue as a metric 
a percentage of revenue. It's simple to do, but it is by far the worst indicator of value. Let's face it, we all, we're all buying a business for its return on income and revenue doesn't pay the bills. The income and bottom line is ultimately what pays the bills and creates a return on your investment. So the other two is a lack of adjusting evaluation to the specifics of the company. For example, on the financial side, making sure you are there family members. Sometimes there are family members on the payroll that are they're being overpaid. You can do that as a small business owner. So making adjustments to financials for things of that do what we call discretionary expenses. And lastly, adjustments to even multiples. A lot of times, a lot of valuation people just take whatever the average multiple is for an industry. Let's say for a manufacturing business in the aerospace business, let's say it was four and a half times EBITDA on average for a business in the one to five million revenue range. They'll just use that multiple instead of looking at the company and the factors I talked about, like how important is the owner? How diverse is the customer base? Making those adjustments to get to the specific, which for a good business is going to result in a much higher valuation. I gotcha. So in most cases, it's the seller of the business that retains your services, right? In most cases, yeah, you could have a buyer, but usually it's a seller who wants to know before they go to market what their business is worth, where they should be asking what would be a reasonable and fair market value offer for their business. So usually that is where, uh, at least in my experience, nine times out of 10, that's that's the client I'm working for is usually on the sell side. Okay. So let's say that from a quantitative standpoint, you've got all of this data and you could support this number and the buyer says, well, that's fine. Ed. That's great. But I'm not paying that. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Get, I don't care if this, if the seller appraises it 15 times, this is my, this is my top offer. Sure. And then the seller can either relent and say, yeah, well, okay. I got a bird in a hand. I guess my question is how close to evaluation of a business that you arrive at is it ultimately sold? What's the deviation between sure. yeah. what I said it was going to sell and what it actually did sell? Yep. I got you. I feel strongly that I'm usually, I'm, no one's going to get it just right. You know, there, there's always right. a, there's always a subjective element to any valuation. And so what you're, what you're saying is, is true. And it happens all the time. I feel like I'm going to be within 10% plus or minus of the fair market value, given my combination of actually selling businesses and knowing exactly that, bringing that real world experience of dealing with the buy side as well. And anything also when I'm working with sellers, that valuation is an important part of knowing, well, if you're going to ask for 150% of fair market value, you're probably not going to sell that business. You're going to be on the market a long, long time and may not ultimately sell it if you're going to just stay there. So it's also educating and working with the seller to make sure it's not overly priced. That's the number one reason businesses don't sell. And then uh, with the buy side, working with buyers, being able to confidently and tell them if that's the case. And, and I get that all the time. They've got their number. Some people tell me, Ed, I'm not selling. I'm not buying for more than three and a half times EBITDA. I say, well, that's too bad. You should look at this business on the merits of its specifics. And this business is better than the average business, for example. Gotcha. Right? And gotcha. so that's where I'm able to talk value with them because of my background as a certified appraiser and 
talk uh, objectively about this isn't just the seller reaching for the stars. This is really a fair market value. And here's the reasons why A, B, C, and D. If you're not comfortable with that, that's that's okay. You know, we'll, uh, we won't usually don't have a good time, hard time finding a qualified buyer for a good business that's, that's reasonably priced. I have, uh, you know, there's a lot of do-it-yourselfers out there. It's, well, you know what? I could sell my own business and save the commission. How should we put it? Word of caution to those. Can, can somebody really pull it off where they sell their own business? Or are they going to screw it up? There's just too much well, to know. Some people have been through the experience enough where they can, provided I would say they're okay. The the Some of the main benefits and reasons you, you hire somebody to help you is keeping that barrier of confidentiality. You really don't want competitors, customers, employees knowing your business for sale. So that's sure. a really critical factor that number sure. one reason people would hire a broker, right? So yeah. otherwise you're you're pretty much putting it out there that your business for sale. So that's one compelling reason. The other compelling reason is obviously just the transactional expertise, right? To somebody like myself sure. and facilitating all that with the buyer of as a broker, I'm able to work with the buyer and help them move along in the process as well and provide them some comfort level that this is a customary process. Here are purchase documents. Here's a good attorney to work with through this process and trying to provide that comfort level to get the buyer, even if the seller is comfortable, a broker can be very good at doing what they're doing, which is being a good intermediary between the buyer and seller. Got it. So, Ed, we're, we're getting close to running out of time, but I'd, I'd like to um, ask you this question. If sort of as what would be your advice to my listeners, which are business owners? And I know you can't exhaust all of the uh, various aspects. It's a very complex subject matter, but maybe just two or three things that you'd like to leave them with if they're contemplating selling their business that we already haven't covered thus far. So sort of a parting comment, a summary, if you will. Well, that's tough because we covered a lot of the key things, to be quite honest. We covered well, the, if we did, we, we did. Yeah, we did. I, I feel like I think we covered the accounting, how important that is to have good okay. transparency by the time. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about, and this is really important, as you're approaching time to sell, many owners work in a minimize tax liability mode during their the years of their business, which yes. I totally get and I understand. But as you come closer to selling, and one of the key reasons, particularly for a lot of businesses, a lot of business buyers are going to use an SBA loan or work with somebody like yourself, Gene, or somebody who do, deals with loans. And the more accurate your tax returns are in that regard, it can pay off multiple dollars for every dollar you were saving. It'll help the buyer get qualified, help you get more cash at closing. And so it's a really important thing to do as to be more specific. If you think about it, when you save a dollar, if you expense something and you say reduce your taxes by a dollar, you're saving 25 cents on a dollar, let's just say, as an example, okay? Yeah. Whereas if you didn't put that that discretionary expense in your tax return, now that it's 
you're within two, three years of selling, you've just increased the bottom line on your tax return a dollar. And sure, you'll lose that 25 cent tax savings, but you're going to get three to four times a dollar, three dollars to four dollars when it comes time to sell the business. And you're going to be able to help the buyer go get all cash at closing because they'll be able to go get a loan that they can substantiate with actual tax returns, which lenders are going to want to feel comfortable using those. So it's a mode of transitioning from tax savings on your tax returns to transparency to get three to four times a dollar instead of saving a quarter. Gotcha. Okay. So Ed, this has been fantastic. If any of my listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what is the best way to contact you? Yeah, I would say the best way is via my email, which is ed at businessquest, Brokers with an S dot com. Ed at businessquestbrokers.com. Okay, great. And um, what I'll do is I'll also include your contact information on the show notes. And I thank you so much for your time, Ed, uh, because as you know, at some point, you're not, no one's going to live forever. You have to think about how am I going to sell this thing or give it to my kids? What am I going to do with my business that I spent my whole life on? Most people want that, uh, are looking for that uh, golden parachute of dollars that they can put in their pockets after all that hard work. And they want to make sure they get the top value, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And Gene, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it very much and appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you on the trail. Take care. So that's a wrap listeners for every major strategic decision you are contemplating. You should always ask yourself, how will this action increase the value of my business? Be sure to tune in next Monday, August 15th, for the topic entitled Growth Strategies 360 Degrees. It will raise your executive IQ by at least five points. See ya. I'm out. This has been CEO Terrainmaker with Gene Valdez. To find out more, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you have questions, email the show. Find that link and others in the show notes. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.